0: Hi there, and welcome to The Daddy Juggle, the podcast discussing all things juggling being a father. Erdem Kosh is my name, and this is episode two in the series. If you missed last week's episode of The Daddy Juggle, I spoke to Matthew Wells from Jacksonville, Florida, who creates social media content under the hashtag basic dad stuff. Matt has four kids, and we spoke at length on how challenging that is emotionally. But there's plenty of times that I walk away at the end of the day feeling like I failed. But, I, you know, but the thing is, I get up every morning and say, I'm going to do better today. But we all mess up. You just got to make sure that you forgive yourself for it and
1: try to do better the next day.
0: Matthew Wells there from Episode 1 of The Daddy Juggle. And on this episode, I'm speaking with Michael Ray.
1: A less than optimal dad is a less than optimal co-parent. So we need to feel comfortable in speaking up and we need to go, this is hard. So it's not just acknowledging that women have it hard. And women need all of the support, but men need support to be able to support women.
0: You may have heard of Michael. Michael made the news several years ago when he challenged the status quo of his daughter Charlie's ballet school. You see, Michael is Charlie's only parent. Her mother and Michael had a short relationship and Charlie's mother now isn't in her life. Now, when Charlie was four, she was going to be the only student without a parent backstage for her ballet concert because her dance academy decided that only mothers would be permitted backstage. You see how this could be a problem for a solo parent, that parent being Charlie's father, Michael. Since then, Michael has been the voice of single and solo fathers, and has constantly questioned what he calls is the gender bias nature of how we treat parenting in modern society. In this conversation, we touch on that... How we want men to speak up about their feelings, but often shoot them down because, well, let's face it, our experiences when compared to that of the mother of our children are often seen as redundant, I guess. Here's Michael Ray, who starts by telling me the initial thoughts that went through his head when his daughter's dance academy said he wasn't welcome backstage.
1: I just thought it was a not so much a typo, but an oversight, because as a solo dad or daughter, you get used to... You know, even reading books to her. You know, everything. There are no dads involved unless they're a villain. So, you know, I'm no Doctor Zeus, but trying to make rhymes to edit in dad instead of mum or you know things like that. You get used to it. So we had the pre-concert uh, meeting and we went through everything. And at the end, they said, "Are there any questions?" So I put my hand up and I said, "Well, oversight here. I have to be backstage because I'm Charlie's only parent." And the response was, "I'm." Oh, sorry, Michael, it's a child protection issue. And I said, well, I I have my working with children check. I've been a swim teacher for about 18 years. So, and I'm her dad. And then the next one was, well, does she have an auntie or a nana or someone else? I said, well, she's got all of those, but I'm her, her parent, I'm her dad. Now all of the other mums, my mum tribe chimed in, they had my back and they said, oh, this is ridiculous. We don't have a problem with it. And if Michael's not allowed backstage, then we shouldn't be allowed backstage either. Awesome. So, Yeah, and uh, I cheered up a bit and I, you know, we're happy to look after Charlie if you bring her to the backstage area. And again, I said, well, that would be okay if you're going to look after all the children. I'm not asking for special treatment for my daughter. I just want the same treatment for her. And then it was, well, this isn't about you. This is about the children. And I said, that's exactly right. My daughter can't be the only child backstage to look around and go, with a parent, with a parent, with a parent, with a parent, and here I am on my own. And that's why I said, you're going to have to fix this. You've created it. I don't mean to be rude. One of the other lovely mums said to me, she had a friend, Susie O'Brien at the Herald Sun. She said, I'm going to send her a message. Do you mind if I give her your uh, details? And I said, no someone said to me oh this is discrimination so i went through the equal opportunity act spoke to the wonderful kate jenkins from the sex discrimination commissioner and she said no michael i'll I'll email you through the chapter and verse of the act they can't do this it got misconstrued where a lot of men thought it was a a men's rights or a father's rights uh issue that i was standing up for and nothing could be further from the truth
0: you just wanted equal treatment that's it
1: yeah and I, I didn't want my daughter to be made to feel different that our family situation. And it was at that stage we were going through the marriage equality debate right, as well. Yeah. You realise in the future you're going to have two mums, two dads. You know the the nuclear family is, is gone, but you're meant to be the liberal arts, the bastion of contemporary thinking. Yes. And you're going well, no, it's that's how we've always done it, and decided as a child protection issue when. I'm there with my daughter that's why I said that's just a red herring, but it's also, it's a little bit offensive the way that the casual nature and ease that you can say, we think you're a risk to other children. And so, a
0: blanket risk, right? I mean, all, all men, yeah. all single men, all single dads or all dads are a risk. Yeah. That's the part that that's quite interesting. Sorry, go on.
1: Dance classes were on Tuesday. I think by Friday we hit every major news network. We we're on BBC over in London. Uh Susie O'Brien did a second page, full second page thing that elicited such feedback and messages and it just went nuts. So it was fair to say when I went in for the meeting next Tuesday, I was a little bit sort of, <laughs> <laughs> and they did a no comment uh, interview. Of course. <laughs> and, and when I went back in there, I said, you know, this, this will be such a great opportunity to go, you know what? Family demographics are changing, we realize this now with marriage equality hopefully going to become a reality. Families come in all different shapes and sizes and we wanna embrace this and welcome everyone in because as I explain when I speak to mums, we dads really need to be invited in because we feel awkward. It is hard a lot of the times we don't know how to behave, we're not sure how we'll be interpreted as a bit of an intruder, as a lot of the times as maybe one dad, maybe two, in a whole group of mums. And we just feel that awkwardness. So what you think goes without saying sometimes needs to be said. So we sit back, we don't interact. So we need to get past that uh, division. We need to come together a lot more.
0: And since that moment of, of, you know, the story in The Herald Sun, you appearing on the BBC, you've been talking about this experience in the context of being a solo father, but, you mentioned at the start there that you were used to this. This didn't come as an incredible surprise to you. Is this or has this been part and parcel of your life since since you've had Charlie?
1: I think when we grow up, looking back, we grow up in, in a society that pedicises mothers. We only seem to talk about childbirth, uh, pregnancy as it affects mothers. We have these images, all these sayings from an outdated time that, you know, mother knows best, only a mother's love, you know, maternal instinct and all of those things. So we grow up bathed in this influx of, well, mums have the secret sauce. And it makes men doubt themselves. It makes us defer to mums, putting more pressure on mums. And we think the best dad I can be and the best partner I can be is to ask mum what I should do and do it well. That mental load, that extra extra layer of responsibility, we need to stop this mother knows best and simply put it down as practice makes progress. With a lot of the mums I speak to, they, they have all this extra pressure on them because when we say maternal instinct there's definitely a parental instinct but it's no different from mums and dads and we need to weight them the same so often i get told you'll never know what it's like because you didn't carry her for nine months yes. you know we have this special bond and that's what i say well that would be fine if you don't consider the ramifications of that what you're saying then is grandparents, step-parents, foster parents, adoptive parents, same-sex couples who have achieved uh, their child through surrogacy, none of their love is an equal worth or weight of what yours is. None of those children are receiving an equal and worthy weight of what yours is. And when it comes down to the crunch, who should be responsible for that children? Does that put more pressure on mums who want to prioritise their career, their education, anything like that and leave it to dad. Are they made then to feel like, oh, you know, my child's getting second best? And it's him 101 out of the patriarchy playbook that's been used to lock women into that outdated, you look after the kids, dad goes off and earns. And, you know, as as I say, there are there are just as many mums unconsciously supporting the patriarchy as what there are men with that outlook.
0: And the effect on fathers, and I'll draw on my own experience here as a new father, relatively new father. And it's not really something I'd thought about, to be honest, until I'd come across your work, but I almost, in conversations with friends, other dads, other mums, played down my feelings, my experiences, my sleep deprivation, my exhaustion, because the mother has it worst. because my wife is still breastfeeding our 10-month-old daughter, which means that you know, during the nights when she gets up, obviously I can do a little bit, but usually it's on her. But I think overall, if you look at our setup, we've managed a situation where I'm I'm, I'm fortunate to be able to work from home most days. And I'd say that if it's not 50%, you know, and, and 50-50, it, it, it's 60-40 in her favor. And, and only because, you know, I have to spend the bulk of the day working, but I try and do my bit around the house. But regardless of that, I play it down because she's the mother, she's the one who's actually got it worse. And does that create a bit of a inferior complex in men, I guess, when we have those conversations, which actually might not be fair, and in your case is is definitely not fair as, as the solo parent?
1: Yeah, I definitely, and, and it flows on as well, because then it goes on to workplaces yes. as well. You know, can't your wife do this? Yeah. Shouldn't your wife be doing that? You know, you're tired, but she's more tired, which is often often the case, but we can't downplay it because a less than optimal dad is a less than optimal co-parent. So we need to feel comfortable in speaking up and we need to go, this is hard. So it's not just acknowledging that women have it hard and women need all of the support, but men need support to be able to support women. That's why a lot of men, only 5% of men take paternity leave when it's available to them. And it's not that we're uninterested in children, it's just we've been brought up to believe as fathers, you're the providers. And as I'd say to guys, you are the provider, you're the provider of support, you're the provider of example, you're the provider of morals, you're the provider of nurturing. Don't just link it to a financial provision for your child because if you look at outcomes for children, apart from the 20% of children that live in poverty, there's no linear progression for family income and outcomes for psychological, educational, behavioural happiness for children.
0: You know, I stopped using the word or the phrase breadwinner ever since I've been reading your work, because I think you make that awesome distinction between saying breadwinning is not more important than caregiving for children, to your point just then.
1: Yeah, well, it's a vital part of it, Erdem, and that's why I don't understand. But even primary and secondary caregiver, my goodness, like, What's a secondary caregiver? Exactly. To me, that's nan or a babysitter or a childcare. As a solo parent, I'm considered a primary carer, whether I'm at work or at home. So if it's fair for me, it's fair for both when when they're a a two-parent household, because it's ridiculous to think that while I'm off earning the money to win the bread, it's not until I get home and make the sandwich that, suddenly I'm a caregiver. You can't link them. It's divisive. But the other problem it has, it's allowed workplaces to be willfully blind to our why, to the main reason why it's important for us to have a career. It's to keep a roof over their head. It's to provide for our family, all of these things. So they've gone, well, you're primarily a breadwinner or a worker. The other stuff is secondary. So you put your head down and we'll worry, let someone else worry about the other stuff. It's just ridiculous. And that's why men are suffering burnout. Seven out of every nine suicides are men. We've got over 60,000 suicide attempts that are men. And this is a result of a lot of this patriarchal thinking that divides us into different camps.
0: I find when I explain about our setup at home, which is... Because we have a child who hates sleep <laughs> for now, uh, it means that I'll sleep sort of the first part of the night. Um, my wife will do, you know, breastfeeding and all that kind of stuff in the first half of the night. Then, uh, you know, four or five o'clock in the morning, if, if, if Adele's still being a difficult from a sleep perspective, then I'll get up. And it just means my wife gets that four or five, three or four, whatever it is, hours of uninterrupted sleep. And, and we'll go downstairs. We'll have a bit of a play. If she sleeps, she sleeps. If not, you know, it is what it is. When I explain this, particularly to mothers, the response I get is, oh, aren't you a good man? That's so nice of you. And I'm like, nice. A, I consider this a, a responsibility and a duty. I'm doing this for Adele just as much as I'm doing it for my wife. And superseding all of that, I'm doing this for myself because I'm the father. And it goes to your point, right? I am not the primary caregiver. And how do you... Define primary versus secondary just out of curiosity. Like, is there a percentage that we put on? Do we count the hours who spends more time with the kid and doing what with the kid? It's, you know, we don't have a default, oh, it's dinner time, so you feed her or I feed her. It's whoever is available or whoever, you know, wants to do it in that particular moment does it. You know, the only thing my wife does that I can't do is breastfeed, and that's because I'm, you know, physically limited in that space. Yeah. But that's it. Other than that, you know, I consider us equal. But you're right. Society, the systems, the conversations, even just casually, does not consider us equal.
1: It's funny. I love a compliment as much as an exploit, probably even more. But a lot of the compliments, um, they're borderline patronising. It's no different to me saying to somebody, "Gee, you speak really good English," you know, know, or "Oh, that's great," you know, a female truck driver. You, that's a that's amazing. It's no and even the fact that a lot of the people within the equality debate which is the space i i end up in when they talk about great female leaders and it's like no she's a great leader and not because of agenda not despite her gender, but because of the decisions she makes and when they talk about inept male leaders don't assign these moronic decisions and poor behavior to his gender, sign it to his character and his intellect. Until men are comfortable with women as leaders and champions in all leagues, in all spheres, men are going to feel like they have to do this stuff. We're insecure as it is, but the penguin swung too far. And now men are anxious and scared to get involved and put their hand up because it's become a little bit shouty, screamy, attacky. And you know, even the term mansplaining drives me mad. And that's like, you know, <laughs> we want people in the tent so don't shut them down educate them so don't don't say you've got no right to that opinion because of me try and understand why they think that and then address it understand first and then you'll be understood
0: i wonder how much of your personal circumstance allows you to enter this debate so if you were if Charlie's mum was in your life or you had another partner and would people take you in as much as they do because you're a solo father
1: does that question make sense no it it does hurt him and that's exactly what i say i get away with saying things because my motives aren't questioned as much so a lot of the men's rights and father's rights advocacy is a horrible hateful frightening bunch of blokes who are responding to what they perceive as an unfair treatment and so they're dismissed. But it's the same with the toxic brand of feminism. You know, that gets, but for some reason, the, the moderate, the middle side, the productive sides of the two debates get tainted with the extremists. So people switch off. Men benefit just as much from equality as women do. Here in Victoria, the first point of contact for new parents is called the Maternal and Child Health Centre, you know, where does Dad go with as many as one in seven dads suffering uh, perinatal uh, depression? What a massive missed opportunity to sit Dad down, bring him in, include him—not as an assistant, but right, Dad, here's your go. So after Mum's breastfeed, you need to ensure that you're doing the burping, that you're doing so everything that Mum has to do, do that, and all the other stuff, so that Dad becomes an equal partner and. You know, I've never been made to feel more like a third wheel than at these appointments. It was yes. sort of you know, sit in the corner and be quiet. And I was like, really?
0: I remember when Adele was born and it must have been night two or three, you know, haven't slept. She was born during the COVID lockdown, which meant that we couldn't have any visitors. Uh, so it was, it was literally the three of us for the entire week that we in hospital. My my wife had an emergency C-section, which meant, you know, she obviously was, was struggling quite a bit, having undergone major surgery. And it was in the middle of the night and uh, I didn't hear that Adele was crying uh, because I was sort of in a deep sleep, something I obviously hadn't done for, for such a long time. By that point, my wife had obviously got up to breastfeed her. Nurse walks in and then she sort of clapped her hands to wake me up. And I sort of, you know, startled out of bed. And she's like, come on, you need to get up and and burp her. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. And as I got out of bed, I mean, I I must have just sort of groaned a little bit or something because my back was probably hurting or... And the nurse looked at me and said, oh, you're tired, are you? Are you tired. And I just thought to myself, well, I am. But it doesn't mean that, of course, my wife has just had major surgery. There's no denying that she's not well and needs to be taken care of. But, I mean what i can't be tired like i have yeah. to be a super dad where i don't or a super man or a super person where i'm not i don't feel the brunt of any of this like childbirth affects men as well it affects fathers yeah. as well
1: it, it's funny isn't it Erdem? we we want men to speak up. we want we want to get rid of that old school version of masculinity where we're tough as nails and we don't speak out and we don't whinge and then we have people teasing us about man flu yes you know we don't go to the doctors we don't think and the minute we say gee like i've got this oh it's man flu you know and you're uh dismissed things like that and that's what we say well you know (laughs) there are so many incongruent or inconsistencies between what we say we want and the way we behave that it's frustrating sometimes.
0: Oh, I just got goosebumps as you explain that because, I mean, isn't the start of human psychology and human connection acknowledging the emotion that the other person is feeling? Emotions are valid every day of the week. You cannot say to someone, you can't feel like that or what you are feeling is invalid, because it That's pales it. in comparison to what person X over there is feeling, who may happen to be your wife or your partner, the person who's given birth to your child. It, you're spot on. We want men to speak up. And then when they do, if their feeling or emotion happens to be on par with the mother in that moment, you know, especially in my experience, then we're told to
1: shut up. Yep. Two things can be true at the same time. Exactly. It's, exactly. You know, yes my wife is doing poorly and she is suffering and her is, but I can also be feeling it doesn't negate her thing. And that's why I say to mums, you've got no idea speaking to the dads I speak to and my uh, personal experience of the guilt and the worry we feel when our wives are going through that. Like we feel or I felt like the worst rat, like I just the empathy and I know it's, I'm not drawing a a straw man or a false equivalency here. It's nothing like that, but just that sense of what have I done, this poor woman, you know, and then the sense of gratitude afterwards when they get through it and the sense of amazement and just sheer awe for the whole process, everything from, you know, the fact that my daughter's mother (laughs) even entertained me as, as a child's father for a bit, but the whole process all the way through. It's just amazing but it's fearful for us guys as well because it's out of our control and as parents we know that deathly fear of what could happen to our children what will impact them and it's the same with our partners it needs to be acknowledged and it needs to be accepted
0: precisely we could talk about this i think for for hours i absolutely love your work but let's talk about Charlie, because you say that you remember the moment your life changed forever for the better. And it's almost as though your life before was of no real consequence or significance. It was all just in preparation for the birth of your daughter. Take me through the journey of becoming a father, being a father to to a beautiful young girl and, uh, and what she's like in your life.
1: Uh, She's, she's absolutely everything. Erdem, The, the thing that I. I don't understand is when a lot of the times we hear about the sacrifices we make for our children. Well, to me, when I hear sacrifice, I, I think of something that's worth great value that's been given for something that's of lesser value. And there's trade-offs. And unless you're a mug, like I'm the Warren Buffett of trade-offs for <laughs> my child. There is nothing that I've traded where I've gone, gee, I can't do that, but I've got this. There's nothing I've traded that I wouldn't trade a hundred times over. Yeah, there's nothing that's not made instantly better than walking through that door and having that kid leap into your arms. And, you know, the day just melts. And that's what we say. I've found that there were lessons to be learned from when I was younger that weren't revealed until I had Charlie. And it's like, ah, now now there's a lesson. And it's the same with we see with our parents as we get older. And you look back and the stuff that you push back against that you thought was being silly, It may have seemed silly back then, but suddenly it makes sense. You can see why you get that. You look through a different window as you get older. And once you're a parent, it's um, just amazing. And as I say to guys, I don't think that we get better. uh, It gets easier as our children get older at being parents. I think we get better at being parents, not because our kids are easier, because we've gotten better. If you think of it from the perspective of, If your child's pushing your buttons and testing your limits, which sometimes happens every time on reflection, it's more about my buttons and my limits than her behaviour. Yes, It's I've had a bad day, I'm tired, I've run down, and this kid just wants to connect. She's not purposely going out, you know, trying to find that one last raw nerve after a bad day to push. She just wants to be involved and present. And that's why I say to guys, a lot of times if you stop what you're doing and go, you know what? I'm going to give this kid 30, 45 minutes, just her and I'm going to get on the floor. We're going to play Uno. We're going to go for a bike ride or whatever like that. And then I'll get back to the day-to-day grind stuff that's driving me mad. And their behavior is gone. Like what you thought was bad behavior, but you've gone into their world. Their world's a lot better than ours. Yes.
0: You know, someone put it really well to me the other day. And again, one thing I hadn't thought about is humans as a species on earth, are the creatures that rely on their parents for the longest duration of time, yes. both to be fed and looked after and nurtured, but also to you know the wider care I guess in terms of schooling and whatnot. You know when you think of horses can can walk within I think a few hours and then sort of they're off and, and running birds you know once they learn how to fly they you know they leave the nest etc cetera, etc. Cetera. We want rephrase we need. Our parents for a really long time and our parents have to be present and we see the effect on kids later in life in their adult life when when parents aren't present and we've all had that right because our parents just like us we are you know again someone else put it really well to me said every individual is broken in different ways and every individual raises another broken individual but it's up to us to be a little less broken if we can, by self-reflecting, by looking back on our life and what we've had. When you're raising Charlie, do you think about what good looks like in her eyes?
1: one day, and that's why the book I've got coming out is called Who Knew, and there are so many who knew moments, stuff that is in there and stuff that's happening, but It's very easy to appear as a superhero larger than life as a dad, especially to a daughter. And when you realise you're her example of how she should react to life and its challenges and how she should react to other people and how she should accept treatment from people who claim to care about her, you lift your game. So if we have a lot of problems with domestic violence and coercive control um, in society today and we look at everything we look at social media and popular culture and all the things that may be contributing to it but we never ask ourselves what role are we playing as parents because it's a bit uncomfortable so if you've got an authoritarian controlling coercive style of parenting you could well be setting your child up to either perpetrate it or accept and diminish it my best parenting is questionable and it's when my daughter gets to question everything so as a coach it's about asking her the questions and letting her do it. When Charlie will say, Dad, how do I spell this? Well, how do you think, bub? And she'll have a go at it and it's like, good. And she'll, Dad, what do you think of this? And it's, well, how do you feel about it, bub?" Oh, I like it, but, you know, I, I teacher said it was great. Yeah, but how do you feel about it? Oh, I, I like it, but do you like it because your teacher liked it or because you like it? Oh, no, I like it, Dad. Well, that's... All that matters, but because I really like it, but I like the fact that you like it more. We've become so busy in life that it's really easy as a parent to slip from authoritative, which is great, clear guidelines, rules, boundaries, behaviours, to authoritarian, where it's do this, do it this way, get it done quickly. This must be done. If you don't do this, I'm taking your iPad away. So it becomes a real coercion and Their self-esteem can become contingent based on outcomes. So I got an A, so I feel good because dad's happy. Whereas it stifles a real lack of intrinsic, internalized values. Gee, this is really hard. I'm not good at it, but gee, I like it. So my grades are bad, but I want to figure it out. Whereas the other way, it can lead them to look for the easiest route.
0: And also, if she's motivated to get an A today because dad's happy, when yep. she's older, she's motivated for success to make someone else happy, partner, yep. boss, you know, anybody.
1: Yep. And that's it. So that's why I'd say we have this rule in our house. Every feeling, every every emotion is valid. You've got every it. right to feel like that, but we can't have these behaviors, Bub. So we need to talk about it. When you're upset, I don't want the bottom lip and I, I, I don't want this time around because what? purposes are served so come to me and let me know and then we can say but it's fine i would be disappointed too but what do we do about it so it's it's natural to be disappointed we we would become scared to have our children struggle and it just sets them up later in life and so as life gets busier for your child and yourself you can't keep micromanaging everything you can't keep you know a list of things that have to be done and walking your daughter through them step by step She's got to become uh, self-autonomous and, you know, be able to handle her own stuff. And the only way that a child's going to learn to make good decisions by practising, you know, they don't learn it by following orders. So good leaders and good coaches that I've seen, and, you know, I've worked at elite levels with AFL clubs, they're the ones who give away their leadership, their authority. They're the ones who go, mate, you run with it. What do you think needs to happen? Good, you do it and let me know how it works out. And that's why I say to Bob, "Bob, you know, you do this, like it's, it's about you. There was that one moment where she said to me, dad, I wish I could do everything as good as you. (laughs) And it just made me realize it's very easy to try and impress each other. Come here, look, we're doing this and look at that. It's great, but it can be a bit disheartening. So now my daughter has piano lessons. She's teaching me to play the piano. Oh,
0: I love it. That is awesome.
1: But with the piano lessons, when you hear your own child parroting back to you, dad, you're doing good. Just keep trying. You just need to practice. And she's got this thing about 10,000 hours. Dad, you've been going about five minutes. You know, it takes (laughs) 10,000 hours to become an expert at something. And so yeah, you've got to realize they're going to spend the majority of their life without you and you've got to prepare them for it. You can't shield them from it.
0: Yeah. Tell me about your book coming out, Michael.
1: Uh, It's called Who Knew, which is a lot of these moments. It's a a lot about the equality debate and how I feel that the gendered nature of it, a lot of the equality initiatives were conceived and constructed in a time where men were considered either unable, unsuitable, or uninterested in raising the next generation, or all three. So they were more about enabling women to keep doing the caregiving and working outside of the house. And because of the gendered nature and a lot of the cultural connotations within organizations that see men going off for paternity leave and being, you know, have a great holiday, like, you know, good luck watching, you know, Dr. Phil and all of those little, like you say, microaggressions that diminish the important and tiring role that they're uh, doing. But it also shows the disrespect that women have uh, suffered, where, you know, raising children was seen as easier than working. And we know it's not, it's, it's a lot harder. So yeah, it goes into a, a lot of those things and why we need to get rid of this primary and secondary caregiver and just a lot of realizations. It's got the ballet school in it. Some of the things that like what's coming up, you know, the rules for dating my daughter and, <laughs> uh, you know, which, which before everyone jumps on me, that's what it said, the, the end of that one is they're her rules. So, you know, don't think that. I love uh, it. I, yeah.
0: That's so good. When's it out?
1: Pre-orders start on April the 6th and it's released on June the 7th for Father's Day because I do a lot out of the UK and uh, US.
0: Fantastic. I'm looking forward to reading it, Michael. What a great conversation. Thank you so much for making the time.
1: Thanks, Erdem. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: That's been the Daddy Juggle podcast. I've been your host, Erdem Kosh. Until next time, thanks for listening.